one of the first things we're taught is how to share and how to be kind and how to put other people first. And certainly in, in, in Britain, that, that kind of approach is almost an illness. Um, all you've got to do is watch two British people trying to go through the same door at the same time. And you'll, you'll understand what I mean. It's like, oh, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first. Um, uh, so, well, maybe it's changed a bit now, actually, especially when toilet roll is in such short supply. There's a slightly different vibe out there now. But uh, yeah, so, so today um, we're going to explore this idea of self-care. And part of that is uh, a request that in we, as we do it, that, that we do take care of ourselves and do as much or as little of the practice as feels right for us. Um, not least because some of the time we'll be working with the body. Um, and it's really, really, really important that you listen to what the body needs, wants, um, really tuning into that and, and edging away or again, this, this phrase that you'll have heard quite a bit, I imagine, this protective awareness, just knowing when it's right to move away and when it's right to approach a little bit more. So um, where shall we begin? Let's really focus in on this, this thing called taking care, um, which is very much part of the, the, the foundations that underlie this thing called mindfulness. So usually it's described in, in the form of befriending or compassion and that's for ourselves and others um, and as I say it's probably one of the most challenging things and certainly the most challenging practices we do very often it sits at the end of, a, of an eight-week course if you've done one of those um, and in particular in terms of, of the thinking that goes with self-care uh, there's a lot of thinking around it certainly I notice in myself and I I don't know if this sounds familiar, but usually if someone says to you, oh, you should take care of yourself, a number of things pop up. One is, when am I going to do that? I'm so busy taking care of everybody else. When am I, when am I going to have time to take care of myself? And another thing can be, well, I don't deserve that. I don't, I don't deserve self-care. Or I'll take care of myself when, you know, when it's the weekend, when it's the holidays, when I go on holiday, um, or or actually my favourite, which is my own personal experience. Oh, I'm no, I'm taking excellent care of myself. I'm I'm here with a very large gin and tonic. Thank you very much. Um, and just to say that all of those experiences are valid, you know, and at times exactly what you should be doing potentially is having. A large gin and tonic. I may well have one after this talk tonight. But um, does that all sound a bit familiar? All that thinking that goes on around self-care—it's a hard one to overcome. So, one thing I found really helpful when I'm noticing those particular ways of, of uh, reacting to requests for self-care is to edge towards that, move away from the thinking, and actually move towards the body because caring for the body is i think a essential especially in these times where we're actively reducing infection by taking care of ourselves whether that's washing hands in, in that beautiful way that andy last week guided us can turn it into a mindfulness practice um, or just eating well sleeping well as best we can taking care of ourselves 
and the body um, is also something that's very neglected. You know, we, we go through lives, our heads are somewhere else, so the, the body kind of carries it around for us. Um, occasionally, you know, we realize it's, it's there, but usually when it's gone wrong. Does that sound familiar? That sense of, you know, oh, you've broken down, have you? Great. And, and even then, we're sometimes quite unpleasant to it. We, we get cross with it for doing so. You know, if there's pain or discomfort, well, isn't that great? You know, as if I haven't done enough for you already. Um, and it always kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know how many of you know Faulty Towers, which was a, a very popular television comedy series in the 70s I think now so that shows my age um, and there's a famous scene in it where Basil Fawlty who is this hotel owner who goes through life at high speed who um, is driving as usual somewhere at high speed trying to overcome or, or prevent some terrible catastrophe and his car breaks down and it, what he doesn't do is get out of the car and open the bonnet and have a good look real close look at maybe what's gone wrong and, and, and then maybe just assess whether there's anything he can do to, to help the situation, to help sort the car. Instead, he runs away and he comes back with a very, very large branch of a tree or maybe even a small tree and starts beating the car with it. Um, and does it not sometimes feel like we're that with our bodies? <laughs> you know, that sense of only really recognizing it when it's not working for us and then getting super cross about it. So what I want to do is begin with a practice um, which approaches the body in a slightly different way. And one of the first things I'm going to mention about what children have taught me about self-care is the way in which they are able to inhabit their bodies and be in awe of them and, and wonder at them, uh, particularly babies and very little children. If you've, if you've ever seen a baby discover it's got toes for the first time, it's incredible. It's like, holy cow, I've got these things on the end of my feet and they're brilliant and I can touch them and play with them. And so we're gonna do, if it's okay, a toe practice. So. Again, I'm just going to remind you this, this sense of, of self-care and protective awareness. And it may be for you that going anywhere near the feet at the moment isn't the right thing to do. And if that's the case, that's absolutely fine. But using the hands. So instead of toes, if you hear me talking about toes, you might want to just consider them to be fingers because actually in a way, toes are the fingers of the feet. So using the fingers for this practice, if, if feet and toes doesn't feel right for you. But if you're okay with the idea of exploring toes in this practice, then just allowing yourself to get into a seated position where you can see your feet. So I'll just give you a moment to do that. And then the next thing is, if you really wanna get close up to your toes, you might want to take off your socks and shoes or slippers if you're wearing them if that feels okay and this will not be a long practice so if your feet get cold don't worry we can can put shoes and socks back on again but just taking shoes and socks off and just getting comfortable 
And you might even want to bring your feet up a little bit closer. So if you can rest them on a chair or a surface in front of you, that's great. But not so that you're hunched over or squished in any way. So just taking a little bit of time now to just get comfortable. And because the feet are quite far away from our heads, really the invitation is to really sense into what it is to have these things called toes. So you might really want to begin by just bringing awareness to those toes by moving them, stretching them out. It's almost like a kind of beautiful stretch you might do with your body, just allowing any tightness or tension to be released from those toes. And then noticing how it feels to then just relax them again. And perhaps noticing the natural position they resume. And the extent to which that position is very much part of the work they've done for us. So the shape of the toes is very much a response to the walking and the moving that they've done for us. And also the, the shoes that have encased them. So as best we can, just looking at the toes now, or the fingers, if you're looking at the fingers, as if you're seeing them for the first time. So this sense of beginner's mind, wow, what are these? And zooming in really close, having a really good look as best you can at their shape, the variety of shapes, each toe has its own shape. color, many colors perhaps, maybe even noticing surfaces, textures, roughness, smoothness. How is it to have toes? And Willem earlier used this idea of a torchlight or a torch beam. So perhaps imagining that your attention is a little bit like a torchlight and we're going to zoom in now with that torchlight of attention right onto the toenail of the big toe. Really looking at that. Maybe noticing the different shades of colour that might be there. The way the toe holds and, and keeps in place the toenail, the shape of the nail. And if at this point we're noticing maybe even a little bit of aversion, a little bit of not liking or some commenting or some going into doing mode, you know, oh, I should have cut that one, I should have cut that toenail or, oh, don't like the look of that one. Or maybe there's an association with some injury or experience and just, just noticing that and seeing if it's possible to just again bring, bring a bit of beginner's mind to what the toenail looks like. And in fact, all of the toenails, perhaps a variety of shapes there as we've got creative with cutting them. And broadening out now still further and maybe looking at the toes as a whole creases in the skin on the toe. 
the toe joints. So here's a thing. How many joints do your toes have? You will probably find that there are three joints on most of the toes. The one that joins the toe to the foot, the joint that's in the middle of the toe, and then there's a joint at the end of the toe, apart from the big toe, which has two joints. We're taking that in. And it's exactly the same with the hands if you're looking at the hands. Three joints on the fingers, two joints on the thumb. Noticing how these joints maybe have been shaped by moving and years of work. And so perhaps even a little bit of appreciative awareness here. Just this little record of all the work they've done for us in terms of how the joints have been shaped, the natural resting position of the toes. And if it feels right for you, turning over the feet, do it a little bit because it might be difficult logistically, but just turning the feet over so you can just about see the underneath of the toes. And the same with the hands, turning the hands over and just noticing the soft pads at the end of the toes. And perhaps these have been shaped by walking, by moving. If you'd like to, you might even want to just close the eyes and just explore the touch of the feet and the toes, the smooth surfaces, the rough or rougher surfaces, the spaces between the toes. Maybe there's temperature, dampness, dryness. Exploring all of those sensations through touch. And maybe finally, as a, as a final act of appreciation, just giving the feet a bit of a rub, massaging the toes or rubbing them. A sense of real appreciation as you do so. And then when it feels right for you, just allowing the feet to be placed back on the floor or the hands in the lap. Dropping attention back down into the, the feet. And allowing the toes to just have one last lovely rising up, spreading out, stretching, and then replacing them back on the floor. Really noticing that contact now, the soft pads of the toes, the balls of the feet, the soft, perhaps squidgy tissue in the heels, and the weight of the legs feeding into that contact. Again, if it feels right, maybe just bringing a little bit of appreciation to these these incredible things on the ends of our legs. And then if your eyes have been closed, 
just opening them gently. Your body is probably feeling a little bit stiff if you've been sitting, so you might want to have a wriggle, loosen up the shoulders, check the head is nice and lightly balanced on the neck. And just taking your seat again. Thank you. So can you just give me a thumbs up or a, or a thumb in the middle or a thumb down, depending on how you're feeling at the moment? How are you with that? Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Ah. Toes will never be the same again. OK, so back to children and what they can teach us about self-care. So. Um, one of my greatest delights has been working with young people and those who, who work with them and care for them for, for quite a while now. And um, uh, they are great teachers. <laughs> they teach you a lot. And in particular, one of the things that I've noticed is how when you're teaching them mindfulness, um, they are very playful with it. They don't do that thing that adults sometimes do, which is imagine that there's a particular way you must sit and a particular outcome you must achieve by the end of your practice. But they're just they just go with it and they work with it and they'll find something that that you know they're, they're creative in how they do a particular practice. So for example, you know, I might ask um, a, a group I was teaching to just like we're doing now, find your seat, find your feet, find your ground. Um, and, and in one particular class, every week, a little boy, when I asked them to do that, would double over, put his head between his knees. And the first couple of weeks, I thought, well, I'll, I'll let him go with that. That's fine. But by week three, I thought, I've, I've really got to ask about this. So I, I went up to him and I said, are you OK? Is there, is there a reason why you're, you're sticking your head between your knees when we do, when we get ready for our practice? And he said, well... That's where I feel my breath. I feel my tummy push up against my knees and that's where I feel my breath. So having been asked if he could identify a sense of breath in his body, that's how he did it. And it worked well for him. So I just let him, I just let him get on with it. I let him roll. Um, another lovely one with finding breath at children, because it's one of the things they find quite difficult. Um, this kind of concept of breath becomes quite heady. Um, and, and I think maybe adults, as adults, we sometimes also experience that. So something else, you might want to try this, but if you take your hands and you place them at the side of your ribs with your fingers, you can't see me, your fingers pointing down, so your elbows are sticking out. And just allow the breath to come and go a little bit. You may be able to feel your ribs separating and then coming back together again. Are you feeling that? So that's another way they like to really engage with any practice that involves the breath. And the great thing about this one is if you then flap your arms backwards and forwards, you look like a chicken. So we call that the chicken practice. So that's great fun. Maybe try that at home. Um, so that's um, so the young children are just a wonder and always a delight. And they teach me so much about mindfulness and life and, and particularly about taking care. Um, so it's often a bit of a sense of regret when you then start teaching teenagers because what you definitely see there in most cases is a is a sense of loss of that wonder in the body and much more um, a sense of shame you know they've got this body that is changing so rapidly and um, they're embarrassed about it 
they've lost control of it it's moving differently it's smelling different it's really hard to kind of get a grip on and meanwhile they're desperately trying to get a sense of who they are their self-image their self-esteem it's all so fluid um and i guess what they've taught me as an adult and certainly in terms of care and caring for others is the importance of working with that particular age group and actually anybody and noticing when they need you to just be there and to be witness so when i first started working in secondary schools i was desperately trying to fix things all the time i'd go into fix it mode um, and i very quickly found out that teenagers just don't want that what they want is for you to hold them not necessarily physically just just be there and hold them in that space not trying to fix it just hearing you know hearing what they have to say and again noticing how quickly we may go i've got the solution especially as adults while well, we've been here so we know what this is all about and i'm going to tell you now how you're going to sort this and they don't want that most of the time they really don't they just want to be heard so that care can be something as simple as just listening um, and how do we do that because that is quite hard too you know we may very quickly go well i'm I've got lots of experience in the world and I'm going to, and even as they're speaking, you might be preparing an answer without really listening to them. You know, you're listening on autopilot. So learning how to step out of that thinking about listening and actually really being there for them is again about being with the body, dropping into the body, dropping into the feet. You might know that the quote from um, Dave, um, Henry David Thoreau, who said that the greatest compliment that was ever paid to me was when someone asked me what I thought and then attended to my answer. And how often we ask people questions, how are you? How are you doing? How was that? And then just don't listen to the answer. So again, as an act of care to others, listening, deep listening can be a great gift. Um, and that may mean you back to stop the thinking part and the, and the planning. And um, lastly, I guess, I just want, before we do our final practice for tonight, I just wanted to, to mention um, the extent to which children will help you show up for life as, a piece, as opposed to being caught up in the worry and the planning and the what ifs about the future and the whys about what happened in the past. They remind us that we need to show up for ourselves and for this incredible life we've been given. And now of all times, we're, we're perhaps realizing just what a gift it is and, and how very fragile it is. And I had a bit of a wake up call with this um, quite a few years ago now. I'd been practicing mindfulness for a little while. I'd started to do it, as many people do, because I was realizing that I really wasn't coping very well. Um, and I was very self-congratulatory about the fact I was doing it as well. In retrospect, you know, I was taking care of myself finally. And um, my then six-year-old son was having dinner one night and he turned to me and he said, I like mindfulness. And I said, oh, oh, have you done some? Because I was being really careful about not 
forcing it down his throat. Um, and he said, no, no, I've not done any, but I like it because it made you come back. So in that moment of absolute clarity, I, I realized that I'd been living in my head. I'd been ghost walking through my life and I know what I'd been doing. I had been kidding myself that I had been taking care of everybody and that was my, my role. Um, and therefore, self-care and presence just didn't even come into the equation. So in that moment of him spotting that <laughs> and, and naming that, I did a weird thing. I picked him up, took him into my arms, and I buried my nose in his hair. And I gave the most enormous sniff in of the smell of his hair. And I don't know where that came from, except that in that moment, I knew that I didn't remember what he smelled like and that I hadn't smelt his hair in that way since he was a little baby. And the same was very much the case for his little sister as well. So I hadn't been show, showing up for their childhood. I'd missed it. I'd missed their childhood because every moment I'd been spending with them, kidding myself that I was taking good care of them, was actually just getting on to the next thing. They'd, I'd say, how was your day? And they'd talk and my mind would be on work or planning and I'd make some food and I'd give it to them. And then while they were eating it, I'd be planning their bath. And then once I'd had their bath, I'd be planning to do their bedtime story. And, and I'd read their bedtime story whilst half writing a list on something else. And so I just wasn't there. And you know, the great irony for me was that my role in the school I was working in was pastoral lead. So I was responsible for the mental health and well-being of the entire school of a thousand students and about 400 staff. And all the while I'd been ignoring my body, which had been telling me really clearly for several years that I needed to stop and come back. Um, we call it a dot B in Mindfulness in Schools project, just stopping and feeling the feet on the floor and being here. And meanwhile, because I'd been striving to take care of all of these other people, my hair had begun to fall out. And I was sleeping about an average of three and a half hours a week, at a night, sorry, not that bad, a night. And um, tiny cuts in my hands from paper would get infected and my fingernails would fall out. You probably don't want to know this detail, but basically it was all a sign that my immune system was shutting down because I was in a perpetual state of fight or flight, you know? My body was fighting saber-toothed tigers every hour of the day. So that moment of my son's comment about coming back was just a complete wake-up call for me. Children are great teachers. Um, and even in school, you know, having taught them some mindfulness, it was pretty regularly as I was marching down the corridor with my head down and probably a frown on my face, marching to the next meeting or the next lesson, I would regularly have students shout, Fofbok, miss! Now, for, for those of you who don't know, Fofbok isn't a rude word. It means feet on floor, bottom on chair. It's a, it's a practice we do as part of one of the curricula we teach. And it just means drop your attention to the lower half of your body and arrive, just arrive. So they were telling me how to become more present. Um, 
So there we are. I've learned so much from working with children and having children and how to take care of myself and others. And the last practice I'd like to do, if it's okay with you tonight, is really about that process of, of care. And again, through the body. And again, appreciative awareness of this thing called body. Because it's a great place to start. If we can't think our way into taking care of ourselves, then perhaps we can begin by taking care of our beautiful gift of a body. So inviting you now, you can do this practice standing or sitting. So just choosing what feels right for you. Yeah, we'll probably do it for about five or 10 minutes. And just beginning by checking in with the posture again, checking in with those toes, those feet. Finding that sense of whatever is grounding for you. If you're standing, making sure that you're checking in with the knees, that they're slightly bent. You don't want to be locking your knees. You'll miss the knees when they're gone. And also that the back is protected. So just checking, maybe tucking the tailbone under ever so slightly if you're standing, just to protect the lower back. And then closing the eyes if it feels okay, or lowering the gaze again. Especially if you're standing, you might just want to check in whether it feels all right to have eyes closed. And as we did with the practice that, uh, that Willem led at the beginning, just turning inwards, bringing your attention now into this thing we call body. Settling, grounding, being in the body, right from the top of the head all the way down through the torso and the pelvis and the legs down to the feet. And just really paying attention to where in the body at the moment feels most resourcing or most stable. It may be somewhere that you're familiar with. It may be a sense of feet in contact with floor. It may be a sense of the body in contact with whatever you're sitting on. It may be a sense of hands in lap. It may be a sense of the body in contact with clothing. Or you might even want to explore this idea of the fofbok, just expanding to find a sense of ground in a broader area of the body, maybe the whole of the lower half of the body. Stable, steady, grounded. And with a sense of, of body, so just as well as getting that sense of ground, also holding that sense of the whole body here in our awareness and tuning into any movements there might be. So not actually striving to find them or indeed moving to find them, but just allowing them to show up if they're there. So perhaps a sense of in-breath and out-breath showing up in the belly or the rib cage or the back or somewhere else. Expanding and releasing or rising and falling 
or perhaps a more subtle sense of movement in the body, maybe, maybe even something barely perceptible, the echo of a heartbeat, a pulse in a vein, a tiny tingle in a part of the body where there are nerve endings, maybe something else. You may also notice the very subtle shifts that the body might make from time to time to keep us upright or balanced, safe. Minute tensing and releasing of muscles, tightening and relaxing of joints. All the time, the body moving to keep us still. Constant flow and ebb and flow of movement and sensation. And if you're noticing perhaps some sensations are pulling at the attention, perhaps more than others, maybe a little bit of tension or a tightening or a twinging or a bracing. Also acknowledging that these sensations are a sign that the body is taking care, that that's tensing or tightening. Is just showing up to tell you that this needs attending to, that it needs listening to. And so noticing here if you have a choice point. Is it, is it right for you maybe to just ease off or shift position as an act of self-care? Or is it something that perhaps you just want to investigate a little bit closer? And you may be familiar with the idea of using the breath slightly more instrumentally here and maybe taking a sense of breath to that part of the body if there is a tightness or a tension, to breathing into or around that sensation. And then on the out breath, allowing a little bit of a letting go and of a releasing. Or indeed, perhaps there's a sensation that just isn't going anywhere. It's just there. And again, perhaps noticing a tendency to kind of want, want it not to be like it is, for it to go away, for it to stop bothering you. But perhaps imagining this sensation is a little, little like a child, a small child or a baby. So when a baby cries for attention, it's usually for a good reason. And, this, and if we've attended to it and we've done everything we can to make it as comfortable as it's possible to be, and it continues to cry, then we hold it. All that's left is to hold it. Just hold it in our awareness, a kindly awareness as an act of self-care. Acknowledging it's there. You might even want to say, I know. 
I know. Just seeing how that is. And just allowing any of these uh, movements, twitches, twinges now to just fade a little into the background. And once again, returning to this sense of the body as a whole, shining that torchlight of attention on the whole glorious body, sitting or standing. And perhaps just allowing that breath to really fill the body, the in-breath to fill the body with oxygen, all the way down to your lovely toes. And the out breath to just get a sense of a bit of a, a release, letting go into contact perhaps. So nourishing and grounding, rising up and releasing. And then when it feels right for you, you might want to bring a little bit of movement to the body, easing gently back into movement. If you've been standing, perhaps returning to your chair, but seeing if it's possible to keep a kind of a little bit of that awareness in the body as you do that. So keeping safe, moving safely, but also just keeping a sense of the body. Thank you so much. So opening the eyes if they've been closed. And I just wondered if it'd be possible to um, open up the chat function. And maybe just to type in, if it feels right, just a word um, of anything you noticed during that last practice. Anything that you noticed in that, in that body befriending practice. Just typing in anything that comes to mind. Let's have a little look. Wobbly, self-hug, space, fidgety, joy, stillness, healing, cat purring next to me. My chest opened a bit, heartbeat, sleepy, locked calf muscles, back pain, soothed, holding, floating, floaty, happy, releasing, how wonderfully supportive and steadying my thighs are. <laughs> Thank you. So that's great. So carry on typing in if you haven't had a chance. I'm going to check in um, with Willem. Um, I have got a little poem I'd quite like to read, but I'm aware that we're coming up to eight o'clock. So Willem, how do you feel about me doing a quick poem? You read your poem, Claire. Is that all right? Yeah. Um, it's really just because uh, I wanted to bring this sense of self-care to 
the tendency to beat ourselves up when we're doing a mindfulness practice. So I know there's a huge range of experience here. Um, some of you maybe have done lots of mindfulness, some of you have maybe done very little, or perhaps have done none at all and have just come tonight to see what it's all about. Um, so I just want to read to you a little poem um, by, uh, Ted, oh gosh, what's his name? Ted Weinstein, that's right. Um, he's called it Ways I Have Been a Bad Meditator. And I've taken the liberty, I hope Ted's not here tonight. Sorry if you are, Ted, but I've taken the liberty of just tweaking a few of the lines to kind of represent my own experience and the ways in which we can beat ourselves up even when we are practicing mindfulness. So I've renamed it Ways I Have Been a Good Meditator. So just see if any of this sounds familiar to you. Ways I Have Been a Good Meditator. I have swallowed repeatedly. I've thought about eating a piece of dark chocolate. I've moved my leg because I couldn't endure the pain in my knee. I've wondered whether I left the oven on. I've tried to slow my breathing. I've looked at my watch before the meditation bell rang. I've thought about whether to register for a retreat this summer. I've thought about kissing the man sitting on the cushion to my left. I've thought about shushing the heavy breathing woman on the cushion to my right. I've wanted the teacher to notice how well I am meditating. I've wondered how the teacher can really meditate whilst constantly checking that it's time to ring the bell. I've missed my old partner. I've remembered why I broke up with my old partner. I've listened to the sound of the rain. I've worried whether or not I closed the windows of my car. I've wondered if living in the moment means I don't have to pay money into a retirement account. I've imagined going to Stockholm to accept the Nobel Prize for meditation. I've thought about how my daughter laughs when I turn her upside down. I've wanted this feeling of joy to continue. I have focused on the rising and falling of my stomach while breathing, when I was trying to focus on the sensations of breath, breath going in and out of my nostrils. I've decided meditation is a waste of time. I wanted to ring the bell at the end of the group sitting. I've opened my eyes to look at the teacher's eyes are open. I've been annoyed at the bird outside that won't stop cawing. I've decided I will never achieve enlightenment. I have told myself I am a good meditator. So as we notice this stuff as we're doing mindfulness practice, perhaps really noticing that we're not bad meditators if we notice it happening, we're good meditators because we're noticing it's happening. And that this stuff is the practice, this recognizing the habits of the mind. And I'm, just to kind of finalize, I'm talking too much. My hope is that as um, restrictions on our movement and activities begin to lift, and we kind of emerge blinking into the light of a new world and perhaps there will be a new world perhaps there will be an opportunity for a fresh start and the beginning again that we keep this this deep need of a sense of caring for ourselves and its importance not as something self-indulgent or as a nice to have but as something fundamental to our survival to our way of being in the world with ourselves and with others so perhaps setting this intention or a similar one um, 
moving forward in this hopefully post-pandemic world.